An eventful day in Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Pacers beat the Celtics for the second time this season, and it's totally overshadowed for good reason. Tyrese Halliburton goes down with a hamstring injury. It doesn't look good. We don't know much about it. What do we know? What can we expect going forward? Should any changes come? Lots to talk about on today's Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers. Your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, y'all? Happy Tuesday and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI. And today, do we have a lot to talk about. Pacers beat the Celtics. They have six wins over Milwaukee and Boston now. Team win, big-time performances from some unheralded players. All that's going to be overshadowed. We'll get to it at the end because the big story of the day from Gamebridge Fieldhouse, Tyrese Halliburton goes down. The worst possible case for the Pacers. What happened? What do we know? What do we need to know? Uh, What happens now for the Pacers? What changes may come, could come, won't come, will come? That is what we will have to cut through today. If you missed it, I'm sorry to be the one who has to break you the news. Second quarter, Pacers-Celtics. Pacers are actually losing uh, at the time of this moment. Tyrese Halliburton driving, uh, and he slips. And that's noteworthy because it was actually the second time he slipped during the game. Uh, the first one happened in the fir- middle of the first quarter. He got up really frustrated. Celtics scored on the other end. And then the second one, he's driving past Derek White, and he slips, his left leg goes, or uh, his right leg slips, and he does the splits under the basket, under uh, the Pacers' basket on the south end of the floor, immediately grimacing in pain. Now, I, I don't know what this makes me, but just being observational, first thing I see, he bends both of his knees. So he's hurt. It's not a knee injury. But what is it? What is going on? If you do the splits, is it your groin? It, it, it looked like you reached for his groin, but it, uh, I also couldn't tell if you couldn't reach what was hurting him because... He was down and in a lot of pain, and it was clearly making him grimace. And then finally, it was clear-ish that it was his left leg and left hamstring. He tried to get up, uh, moved very not far <laughs> on his feet, stopped. Trainers come. Uh, James Johnson and Buddy Heald carry him off the floor. This is with 3.10 to go in the first half. Even O'Shea Brissett and Jalen Brown joined the huddle of Pacers around Tyrese Halberton for support. James and Buddy carry him back to the locker room. Trainers obviously behind him. Um, front office people go. Tyrese's agent go. They all go back to the locker room to figure this out. And it was announced that during halftime that Halburn had a left hamstring strain and will not return to the game, of course. Um, so the, the troubling part, troubling, of course, uh, hamstring injury, any muscle injury is going to be an absence, right? There's... I mean, I think everybody kind of knows that Tyrese Halbert is going to miss some amount of time, whether that's one week, whether that's a few weeks, that is unknown. He's not going to play on Wednesday. Um, in street clothes, for my money, the best public-facing uh, injury analyst on Twitter tweeted, hoping this is a low-grade hamstring strain, low-grade strains result in average time loss of about 13 days, average time lost. For an in-season grade two strain, jumps to about 30 days, uh, which is about 10 games. Could be more, could be less. Depends when the diagnosis happens. He said he could not tell from the video uh, what the grade was. Guessing now, 
uh, is not worth it. An MRI will happen if you're listening on Tuesday today to determine that severity. And then we go from there. Uh, if it's separated from the bone, I guess that's worse. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to sit here and explain hamstring injuries to you. What I will tell you is if it's a muscle injury at all, he's going to miss some amount of time. I know that because I've watched basketball for a very long time. So this is bad, obviously, for the Pacers. And the parallels are crazy for this. I don't want to get too reactionary. We have to look forward here. But like same basket as the one Depot slid under when his quad injury happened and tossing a towel over Halberton as he's exiting. That happened to Oladipo. And the Pacers won. They beat the Raptors tonight. Oladipo got injured. And Dad Young had this great game. And the Pacers won tonight. And it's like it was so weird with those parallels. And we're basically a year removed, two days off, of Halberton getting hurt in New York last year and then missing the next 10 games. So just weird. A lot of weird coincidences going on with this. Either way, he's going to miss some amount of time. Um, big, of course, bummer for the Pacers. He's their best player. I and mean, it doesn't take a genius to go look at any stat website and tell you this. When Tyrese Halberton's on the court this season, the Pacers' offensive rating is 126.6. That's insane. That would, it's a, the best in the league. Their defensive rating's not very good. But when he's off the court, their defensive rating's even worse. And their offensive rating when he's off is 117.3. Their defensive rating is 121. With him off, it's 120.9 when he's on. Uh, not worth diving in too much to that part of it. Just, yeah, we'll get there. Uh, this is awful, right? <laughs> he is the Pacers' best player. That is a massive net rating swing of nearly 10 points, just shy. I mean, that's enormous, right? They're worse without him. They're going to be worse. They're going to have to figure out how to survive this. Funnily enough, the blueprint for survival was the second half of the same game that we just saw. We'll talk about that as we continue with this show, but I want to start with this as we look forward. Okay, so so first I will say, we don't know a timeline. Tomorrow when the MRI is done and we either get a press release or a newsbreaker reveals how long he will be out for, it is then much easier to talk about the Pacers' path forward, right? Because we know the length, we know what that means for their record and schedule and potential trades. So for now, I got this question, does this change their trade deadline plans? That depends. How long is he out for? Uh, how do they do with him out, right? If they do great with him out and they look like the same level of team, then maybe they could, you know, it doesn't change much. If they do terrible with him out like last year, maybe it changes a lot. Who knows? So that's too early to answer that without knowing the length of his absence and really some results. Um, but as of right now, we can't answer that. The length of the absence is certainly relevant to that. The length of the absence also dictates what the Pacers could do with their team and all sorts of stuff. So it's impossible to answer any of those kind of questions. Yeah, what is possible to answer is what do they do now? How do they change their team? What do they need to do? Because last year they were terrible. Remember, they, I think it was one and nine was their record in those first 10 games after he got hurt. I think they beat the Bulls at home for the one win, right? It was a mess. They could not win. He's their best player. That's, this isn't rocket science, but they couldn't win without him. Here's a key difference. As we progress forward, right? Last year, when Tyrese Halberton missed time for the Pacers, they were a much more woeful team. I know I just said his on-offs are massively different. This year's Pacers team is a little under minus four per 100 possessions. Without him last year, they were closer to minus five, right? And their offense last year with him off was 112.2 offensive rating. And this year, like I said, that's 117.8. And last year... Their defensive numbers were different, and this year's they're closer to the same. 
whether he's on or off. All that to say, this is just the biggest possible picture argument. They are w more well-equipped to handle it now than they were last year, right? Aaron Neesmith is better. Andrew Nemhard is better. Bruce Brown is on the team. He was not there last year. Miles Turner, who plays better with Albert, of course, is at worst the same player, if not a little better. Obi Toppin is now on the team. TJ McConnell is the same player, right? Ben Matherin is better, right? There's a couple guys who would play that you could say are worse, maybe just one or two, but in general, they are better. And I pointed this out in November. I thought this was a very noteworthy part of the Pacers' start when they were, I want to say, 6-3 and three or something, that not only was Halberton playing at an elite level, but part of the Pacers' success with their depth being so strong is they were playing better in the minutes without him than last year. And that is still the case this year. So all that to say, they are more well-equipped to survive his absence. I still think they'll be a sub-500 team. Um and they have a tough road trip coming up. This timing is horrible for that. But they're going. They're not going to look so miserable where they can't beat anybody like last year where they immediately, I believe, lost seven games in a row right after his injury. I think that's one slight positive is they are more – I'm not saying they will, but they are more well-equipped to possibly survive this. And we saw in the second half that they can. They, Jason Tatum was out, but so was Tyrese Halbert. And the Pacers beat the Celtics in this game because of their play. When Halbert wasn't on the floor, they lost Halbert's minutes by four in a two-point win over Boston, right? That alone could be your argument for, yeah, they can do it. They beat the Heat without him in Miami. They lost the other two games without him, one of them being two of the Celtics earlier this season and the other one in Minnesota on a back-to-back -to, -back to end a road trip. But they've, they've shown more success this year with him on the bench. You can even do just including the games in which Halberton played, and those numbers are even more favorable. Their rotation is more balanced, but in games Halberton plays when he's on the bench, they have a positive net rating, right? So typically that means that he was available and they have a stronger bench. But in general, you see that a lot of numbers say they're a better team even when he's not playing this year. So tomorrow, when the timeline is known, that more can be reacted to about exactly how the Pacers' approach needs to be different. But this year, in the short term, uh, and today what we can talk about is what should they do differently and can they do better in this stretch? I think so, but how? Andrew Nemhard's going to have to step up. Ben Mather's going to have to step up. McConnell's going to have to step up. Who should start? What should the rotation look like? We'll talk about all that stuff in segment two here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. But before we do that, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. The New Year's here and around New Year's, we all obsess, including myself, over how to change ourselves instead of just expanding what we're already doing right. Maybe... You finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking supplements every morning. Now you want to actually eat breakfast too. Therapy helps you find your strengths. You can ditch extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. And therapy can help with all that. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It's not just for people who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, and can really help you make changes that stick. Just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockdownNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash LockdownNBA. Back here on Lockdown Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. If you can't get enough point guard injury content... Make your second listen locked on Grizzlies because John Morant's out for the season. What happened? What was in the water on Monday night? Horrible night 
for guards in the league. You hate to see it for anybody, especially two young ascending stars of the league. Halliburton, TBD on injury absence. No point in guessing till we know the MRI results tomorrow. For now, though, we know that the Pacers will have to adjust and try to find a way to survive without him for a certain unknown amount of time. Doesn't take a genius to look at the Pacers' schedule and not feel good about this timing. I'm not saying this would have changed their decision regarding James Johnson, and I actually want to imply quite the opposite. I bet they would have kept him either way, but the timing coming one day after they could have waived somebody and created a roster spot and three days before they embark on quite a difficult road trip <laughs> is about as crummy of timing as you can have if you're the Pacers. That's one takeaway. Even if this is a short injury, even I'm not saying this is going to be the case. I actually doubt this will be the case. If this is a two-week injury, if this is a two-week plus two-day injury, and Halbert misses nine games. They play the Wizards Wednesday. Maybe they can win that. Then it's at Atlanta, at Denver, at Utah, and those last two are back-to-back, at Sacramento, at Portland. That's also a back-to-back. At Phoenix versus Denver versus Philly, and even versus Phoenix again. That's their next 10. So uh, they probably should beat the Wizards <laughs> without him. Uh, and then it gets really tough. They play Memphis at the end of the month, which is now not as hard of a game. But still, you get the gist. Whew, that's brutal. And that's what's facing the Pacers. They will have to, if they're going to do what I said and be better than last year without him, I still think they'll be a sub-500 team. Their net rating with him on the bench is still negative on the season. But they're better. They're better equipped to do it. Um, the biggest change. Who's going to start, right? What's this going to look like? It was funny that entering this game against the Celtics, I was wondering, what you know, what's the story going to be? What am I going to write about? And we found out before the game that Andrew Nemhard and Bruce Brown were healthy again. So the Pacers had their top 11 all together for the first time since like December 7th, I believe. Um, and I was wondering who was not going to play because they made a starting lineup change in the middle of that. Isaiah Jackson's been playing well, though he did not have a good night in this one. So I was like, who's not going to be playing? And Andrew Nemhard got the short straw and played the least. He still played. They played 11 guys in the first half. But now that question changes. What do the Pacers do? Clearly, I think that... Rick Carlisle values TJ McConnell and his essence and the way he plays with the second unit as someone who can make the second unit go, especially if Bruce Brown's going to start. And Bruce Brown did start next to Halberton, which is already noteworthy uh, in this game. Bruce Brown did not play well, but he started next to Halberton. All this to say, what happened is in the second half, Andrew Nemhard started with Halberton in the locker room. Nemhard was dealing with foul trouble in this game, so he only played for 12 and a half minutes, but he went four for six and he had three assists. His stat line was fine. Um, the fouls are obviously bad, but I would guess, I don't know this, but I would guess, given the way the Pacers have made a lot of their adjustment and lineup choices this season, that Nemhard will start at point guard with Tyrese Halbert and sidelined. I would guess that the starting lineup you saw in this game with with uh, Nemhard and for Halbert will be what you see because that group can kind of defend. It's not going to be awesome. I think it's going to be like just a little below league average. But Nemhard, Brown, Neesmith, Smith, Turner is as close as the Pacers can get to their best defensive five, most likely, within reason. Maybe you could say McConnell should be in there. I don't know how, um, but that, that's close, right? So maybe if that group can still score 117 points per 100 possessions and they can get their defense to, like, 18th, 
<laughs> that could be a survival plan. But I think Nemhard's going to start mostly because we saw the action of Rick Carlisle choosing to open the half with him, but also because it just kind of makes more sense. With that group, develop Nemhard with some of your guys who could be on your team long term. That'll make sense to me. And then your second unit has McConnell, has Matherin, has Heald, has Toppin. Why does that matter? Well, now I think Nemhard is a, a more complete player than McConnell, but McConnell's better at getting into the paint and kind of stirring the drink of the offense. With the starters, Bruce Brown can do that a bit. Neesmith's gotten better at that. Miles Turner's spacing and ability to pick and roll is unmatched by anyone on the team. They'll have other ways to create shots. Again, it won't be as good without Halliburton, but they'll have ways. With the bench, you have McConnell there, and him and Matherin can be the guys being the creators. And then the problem that they've had all season that is more solved now with their new rotation is Heald and Toppin can be your shooters, right? And then you have spacing. And their bench in this game against the Celtics was awesome, phenomenal. How, uh, Matherin was probably the Pacers' best offensive weapon all night. Obi Toppin hit his threes. Buddy Heald hit some huge threes. He made big plays all game long. McConnell was special a lot of times in this game. And Isaiah Jackson, before he got very angry with Luke Cornett, was playing at least solidly well. So all that to say, I think rotationally what the Pacers should do is start Andrew Nemhard and go from there. If they need to switch it up to a McConnell starts and Nemhard's with the bench, maybe that gets you more rim pressure with the starters and maybe that will be more valuable. I think we'll have to see how this all settles out. But I think I were, if I were in charge, now granted, I said I would have started Nemhard over Bruce Brown with the fully healthy Pacers and Brown was not very good in this game and Nemhard was better. But that doesn't matter anymore because their roles are different now. Nemhard's moving to point guard instead of playing off ball guard. And so that has to change quite a bit. So my prediction. I'm not saying this is what they're going to do. My prediction, and just kind of thinking about the makeup of the Pacers, is that the Pacers are going to try to survive this, make a change by starting Andrew Nemhard. Have we seen that lineup very much? Uh, no. <laughs> the answer of that five-man group that I just described, which is Bruce Brown, Andrew Nemhard, Miles Turner, uh, Andrew, er, excuse me, Aaron Neesmith, and Jalen Smith has very rarely hit the court together. In fact, they haven't at all. That has never been a five-man combination the Pacers have deployed prior to the basketball game that literally just happened today uh, for the Pacers. So it doesn't take a lot to say. That might have some hiccups at first. That might be something that needs to be tweaked. But that's what I think they will do to try to survive this. And then McConnell, and they still have, like, their depth is going to be valuable here. They have scoring up and down the roster. They're still the top offense in the NBA, and their offense is much better without them. Um, but they're running lesser on point guard depth now, right? Isaiah Wong is now the break glass in case of emergency point guard. I'd imagine that they'll view Benedict Mather or Buddy Heald as their third point guard. But in general, they'll have to think about all this kind of stuff if more injuries come or the lineups change. And now they have to think about balancing the rotation and what that all looks like with Halbert now. They are very fortunate to me, and this is not even to me, this is just obvious, that they went on such a hot streak right before this, right? By beating this, winning this Boston game, they have now won seven of their last eight and eight of their last 11, right? Since that key stretch on December 20th, they had that very meaningful practice December 19th. They've been great, and their losses are in Memphis with John Morant playing. Against the Orlando Magic, their kryptonite, and against the best team in the NBA, the Boston Celtics, they're playing really well, or at least they played really well from December 20th through January 8th. And that's going to matter a ton because now they're 21-15. and 15. Even if they stumble a bit, losing six games off your win-loss in a month even until the trade deadline, which is about a month from now. In fact, it's actually less than They have 17 games then, right? So 
to be at 500 and still firmly in the play-in playoff mix, which is where they are. Although I'd imagine, looking at the standings, this big group of teams with 15 losses, the Magic, the Cavs, the Pacers, the Knicks, you know, it's going to be harder for them to keep up with those teams. But if they can cement themselves at or above 500, they will still firmly be in the plan mix and have a chance. So it's important these lineups figured out. It's important the Pacers find a way and don't do what they did last year. They were exactly at the halfway point, 23 and 18, and they stumbled like crazy without Halliburton. They cannot. That cannot happen this year. If they want to be the team they want to be and make the playoffs, obviously they have all the excuses in the world now if he misses significant time. But it's still valuable for this team to learn who does and doesn't do well in the postseason and what it means for them long term. So, in short, Halliburton injured. The big update that actually impacts their long term and it can make it clear what the Pacers need to be prioritizing and thinking about. We'll find out more tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm expecting Andrew Nemhard to start. I'm expecting the Pacers to lean defense more with their starting lineup. And I think their bench group is going to be important for their scoring. And I think they can be okay, even though I think they'll be a sub-500 team without him. They're currently 1-2 and two without him this season. But if you want to be the hope person, the second half gave it to you today. The Pacers won this game. Tatum did not play, but also Halbert missed a ton of the game. And the Pacers beat the Celtics, who were previously undefeated without Tatum this year. How do they do it? Is this something they can rely on with Halbert now going forward? How do they build forward off of this magical second half? We will talk about that to close out today's show. But before we do so, we have to talk about the lovely people over at FanDuel. The NFL regular season done. Playoffs are coming. Some awesome first-round matchups. And there is still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. They've got the NBA. They've got the NHL. They've got football. It's all going on. And right now, new customers on FanDuel can get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's it. You go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. You place a $5 bet. Bang. $150 in bonus bets, $150 win or lose. The app of FanDuel super easy to use. They have a ton of different ways to bet on there, like making a parlay in their Parlay Hub, which is the best way to find popular parlays. You can find bets in their new Explore tab. How about that for convenience? They have the live same game parlays, over-unders, whatever your favorite is. They've got it all and more. So visit FanDuel.com. Slash on. Make your first bet a layup at FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Back here on Locked On Pacers, thanks for making us your first listen today and every single day. For more on this game, make your second listen. Locked On Celtics, John Corrales, the, the GOAT, the, the standard bearer for solo show podcasting, absolutely crushes it covering the Boston Celtics. You can hear more from him. I'm certain he will talk about Jalen Brown's fantastic game. I'm certain he will talk about officiating because there was a lot of unhappy commentary from Celtics fans and the Celtics themselves about the officiating late in this game. Um, the Pacers won. And I think that that is, one, very significant given where their season could be heading. And two, a fascinating statement to be saying. They said, uh, this is a crazy stat. So they said Saturday, they think they can beat the Celtics. They just got to shoot better. Well, they shot the exact same to a T, I believe, uh, shooting percentage line they did when they beat the Celtics in the in-season tournament. 19 for 40. From three. That was massively significant. And that was without Tyrese Halberton to create them or shoot them. He was only one for three. They found ways to shoot better. That was a big part of their turnaround. But they did everything pretty well in this game, right? They hung in there with their points in the paint. Their bench was fantastic. And they caught up 
They didn't win it, but they caught up in the rebounding battle in a way that they absolutely did not on Saturday. Rick Carlisle very disappointing in the rebound disappointed, excuse me, in the rebounding two days ago. In this game, 42 to 39. Not a big advantage for the Celtics. Turnovers, advantage Pacers. They win that by two. Free throws, 22 to 29. Advantage Celtics, but they stunk at the at the foul line. So all that, the little stuff didn't favor the Celtics as much as it did two days ago. And so the Pacers take one more shot and they hit one more shot. And they won by two, right? So because they caught up in the little stuff, and of course they drilled the threes, which the Celtics also did, by the way. The Pacers, at 19 for 40, shot a worse percentage from three than the Celtics, who went 17 of 35. So the hot shooting was not the reason the Pacers won. It kept both teams in it. Instead, they won because they did better in the little things and also shot well, which was vital. Jason Tatum did not play. He, of course, has ripped up the Pacers several times this season, but Tyrese Halliburton only played 13 minutes. So... What happened? How did the Pacers do this? Because I said this earlier. The the reason this is so surprising to me is they were down when Halliburton got hurt. They, they did not have a good second quarter. And in the third, they start injured Emhart, and then he gets hurt right away, right? Or not hurt, excuse me. I'm sorry. He fa- gets his fifth foul right away. So they have to take him out for McConnell. So they're kind of limited on guard rotation options. They're losing. They just had an extremely deflating moment. And then they were phenomenal. <laughs> they were just insanely good. They had the lead by the middle of the quarter. They were winning for almost the entire fourth except for one possession where the Boston Celtics got it back and then the Pacers immediately took it away. Um, so they were able to pull it off and, and come back. And I think the player I would like to start with, because there's a lot of guys who are really good, is Ben Matherin. Ben Matherin was great even before Halberton got hurt. He had 13 points, I believe, at the end of the first quarter, which was huge for the Pacers keeping up because Jalen Brown was great all night, really. But to start this game, Porzingis was playing pretty well early. The Celtics just looked good, and they needed a Pacers needed a way to keep up. And he was their only bench player with points in the first quarter, right? The Celtics scored 34 in the first. The Pacers, starters, had 20, and the rest of their non-Matherin bench had zero. And then Matherin made all five of his shots, all three of his threes, for 13 points. And they actually lost the bench minutes. They lost Matherin's minutes. It's not his fault at all, obviously. But without him, they're getting smoked early in this game. And in the second half, they needed somebody to have some oomph, to have some takeover power. And his shooting efficiency wasn't particularly phenomenal. He went three for eight. But he got to the foul line a bunch, he made some nice passes, and he finishes with 11 points, two assists, three rebounds, and a steal. In the second half, he was awesome. He set the tone early, and he kept it up all night. He's been playing better and fitting in better with this team all season, and he finished third in, yeah, third in minutes for them in the second half. Only TJ McConnell and Miles Turner played more than Ben Matherin in the second half, and his scoring was so vital, including getting fouled with .6 seconds left in a tie game on a three. Porzingis clearly got him. On the arm, Matherin hits two of three. It was funny on the third one. He missed it, and I forget who it was that ran out to kind of like give him pointers on missing it on purpose uh, on what he's supposed to do. I'm not sure if he was trying to. I think it was Neesmith. I can't remember. They were laughing. Uh, there was point three to go. Celtics inbound to Luke Cornett and missed the tip in, but Matherin was huge. He hit the clutch shots. He made the plays. That was massively important. I also said a guy who played more than him in the second half was T.J. McConnell. T.J. McConnell in the second half was plus 14. <laughs> plus 14. He was absolutely massive in this game in every way. His impact wasn't significant in the first half. It was fine, right? He he, he never stinks, right? T.J. McConnell's always giving it your all. But he was missing shots and wasn't there, and he was a minus four. And then the second half, he was just everything, right? 
He slowed down Peyton Pritchard and Drew Holiday and Derek White really better than he did in the first half. He made his own shots. He went five of eight. He had four assists. He did everything. He was a needed point uh, point guard, steady hand. He got into the paint. He got the ball moving. He did everything to help the Pacers win this game. Very reminiscent of, again, the Pacers beating the Raptors in the game where Oladipo got hurt, and the Pacers had this decent enough fourth quarter to get it done. And lo and behold, Corey Joseph was making big plays off the bench. He finished a plus four. Very similar to that one, although the true unsung hero of that game was, of course, Thaddeus Young. But again, the parallels between the Pacers, uh, between those two games, are very strange to me. Um, Miles Turner was also great in this game. He had some huge plays in the post, which I thought was significant, and in general was just playing very well. He's very confident the Pacers can do better than last year without Halliburton. He had 7 of 13, 8 rebounds for 16 points. So those three guys were the key three to me because then the Pacers always had really steady play on the floor in the second half. But Aaron Neesmith also deserves a shout. He was much better than he was two days ago. 6 for 10, 17 points, great defense. They won his minutes. Buddy Heald finally made some threes. Obi Toppin made some threes. Bruce Brown did not play well. Jalen Smith wasn't shooting well. But in general, the Pacers got pretty good play from everybody who played. And the fact that they were able to do this, again, Tatum didn't play. You can throw your caveats in if you want. The Celtics were also undefeated without Tatum entering this game. The fact that the Pacers were able to get paint pressure from TJ McConnell and keep the ball moving and find Miles Turner down low on the mismatches when the Celtics would do their funky matchups or switching or whatever, or find the right shooter to knock down 19 threes with Halbert only playing 13 and a half minutes, or have Benedict Matherin get literally wherever he wanted all night, right? These are all things that they can continue to do, right? And of course, 19 for 40 is not something they'll do every game, right? Duh, they'd win every game if they did that, or almost every game. But they scored 74 points in the second half after Halbert got hurt. They didn't even defend that well. They gave up 63 they did a lot of not awesome stuff in this game, but they had just enough buttons they could push to be great themselves, to be resilient, to overcome a significant injury. And so, it, again, the shooting can come and go. They don't have the guy who creates them the best on their team now. But they have the talent and the ability to be better than last year without Tyrese Halburn. And you saw the blueprint in the second half. And I think those guys that I said are going to be key – but in general, the veterans are going to have to run the show. Miles Turner was great down the stretch of this game. TJ McConnell was great down the stretch of this game. Heck, Buddy Heald, who did not have a good first half. You know, I keep just kind of glossing over him. Buddy Heald in the second half was 5 for 8, 3 for 5 from deep, 3 rebounds, 3 assists. He had 13, 3, and 3, plus 7 in the second half, right? The veterans are going to be key. If McConnell, Heald, and Turner can't be steadying hands almost every night without Halberton. They might win some, but they're going to be relying on young guys who are ascending and not as consistent. And I think that's going to be vital. And I think you saw that in the second half of this game. And I think you saw the Pacers raise their defensive level. And I think you saw them do a lot of things that they can do and need to do going forward. If they're going to survive this, if they're going to keep their season going towards the goals that they want and feel good about their development at the same time, there's so many more ripples that will come from this Tyrese Halbert injury. We're going to talk about all of them tomorrow with a guest. We'll see who it is. Uh, I haven't reached out to a ton of people yet because busy night, obviously. Um, but according, Rick Carlisle said MRI is coming Tuesday. So assuming by then it comes out, we will know the length of the absence. I think that will be very revealing in terms of 
looking at the schedule and figuring out how long this could be, looking at the Pacers' options with their roster, looking at how they, if at all, need to change their goals this season, all that kind of stuff. And so again, tomorrow, we're talking about the Halbert injury. Maybe we'll talk a little Wizards. I doubt it. Um, but that's a big, of course, the big story for the Pacers. How long is their star going to be out? How much will it change their season? And what does it mean for their roster goals the rest of the year? You know you'll get it all here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. Pacers win a great one. Check out Locked On Celtics as well. Back tomorrow talking more Tyrese Howard. And if you think I said something dumb today, I do that all the time. I'm on Twitter at Tony R. East. And this podcast is on there at Locked On Pacers. Going to ask a request of you that I never do. If you're listening on iTunes or you have before, you could go on to Apple, rate this show five stars. That'd be awesome. I will not request that of you very often. So this one time, one time for me, please do so. Comment if you're watching on YouTube. Let me know how you're feeling about the Pacers, about this injury. Of course, it's a bummer. Can the Pacers survive it? We'll see. We'll cover it all here on Lockdown Pacers. Till then, we will see you tomorrow.